One of my favorite kinds of movies are sports movies. You know, the kind where the team has all of these obstacles and difficulties that they're facing. And over the course of the season, they work through those. There's trouble within the, the team itself, fighting and such. And they, they work through all of that. And, and by the end of the season, against all odds, they win the championship. And those kinds of movies leave you feeling good. Everybody's celebrating and they're excited. And you know, the reality is we enjoy movies like that because every one of us wants to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves, a part of something that's greater than, than ourselves. We want to be a part of something that gives life meaning and, and makes life count. And this morning, we're going to think about, in the life of a believer, what does it mean to be a part of something that's bigger than yourselves and greater than yourselves? And what is it that really makes life count? I will begin in Nehemiah chapter 9 and remember that Jerusalem, uh, the land of God's people, was destroyed. It had been destroyed by the Babylonians. The place was a mess. And God called a man named Nehemiah, a Jew who was serving in the Persian government, to come and to lead the people in rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. Now, the wall was critical. It was critical for the city's defense, but it was also critical for the flourishing of the city, even economically, uh, in terms of morale. And so all through the book of Nehemiah, we've journeyed with the Israelites as they worked on rebuilding this wall. And like a sports team that's going and facing all kinds of obstacles, they too had faced all kinds of difficulties and hardships as they worked on this wall. Well, now the wall is finished the wall is complete, and we're going to see the, the Israelites as they celebrate and they rejoice in the fact that the wall's complete. We're also going to see them at a very serious moment in the relationship with God. Let's look together at Nehemiah beginning in chapter 9. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads, and the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. Here we see uh, in chapter 8, they've been reading the word and, and they came across the, the importance of observing the festivals and feasts that had been instituted in the Old Testament. And so we, we leave off in chapter 8. They've been celebrating the Feast of the Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. But here they've gathered again. That, as that uh, feast came to an end, they've gathered again together. And they're gathered around the reading of God's Word. So for hours, the people are gathered and the Word of God is being read and the people are mourning and weeping. Why are they mourning and weeping? Why are they fasting? Why are they saying, hey, I'm not going to eat. It's because they were heartbroken over their sin. They didn't minimize their sin. They didn't say, oh, that's no big deal. That's little. No, they were heartbroken over their sin. It's so much so that they're crying out before God and they're fasting. What does fasting say? It's a way to say to God, I really want you and I want you so much that I'm willing to say no to food. I want you that much, God. And so these people are earnestly seeking God. They are seriously seeking God. They're gathered around the reading of the word and they're responding to the word of God. It's not just words going in one ear and out the other. No, this is shaping the lives of these people. Now, as you continue in chapter 9, 
They begin to recount how God had been faithful to them, how God had called Abraham and made a covenant with Abraham to, to make him into a people and to bless all the peoples of the world through him. And they talk about how God rescued his people from Egypt and, and led them into the promised land. And over and over again, we see them reflecting on the fact that God has been faithful, but all along the way, his people have been sinful. They've dropped the ball. And we see this summarized in chapter 9, verse 33. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. What are the Jews doing here? They're saying to God, you kept your part of the covenant. You promised to take care of us and to be with us if we would obey you. You were faithful, God, but we were wicked. We didn't obey. Now let's skip down to verse 38. Because of all of this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. So here, at the end of chapter 9, the people have gathered together around the word of God, and they are committing with one another and with God that they are going to follow God. And we'll get more on the covenant in just a moment in chapter 10. Um, here at the beginning of chapter 10, we get a list of all of the leaders who have signed this covenant. This is, has the, the kind of language that you would use to describe a legal document. This is a sealed document, and we're putting our names on this document. What was the document? It was to say to God, we commit as the people of God to obey you, to live our lives for you. In verse 28 of chapter 10, we're told that the rest of the people, even the children, all the children who could understand what was happening, joined in affirming this covenant. In other words, they all agreed to follow God faithfully. They, they agreed that they would follow him faithfully. Now let's pick up in chapter 10, beginning in verse 29. We get the details of the covenant here in verse 29. We join uh, basically, they are saying, we join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. Skipping down to verse 35, we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God. And to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse, 
For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. So here in verse 29, we get a kind of an idea of what this covenant is. They are saying, God, we are entering into an oath with you. And what are, we, what are the people committing to? The people were committing to follow him, to obey all that he has written. And they give some examples of this. They, they say, look, we're not going to give our sons and our daughters in, in marriage to people who are, who are not followers of you, God, to, to people who are pagans, people who are not Jews. We're not going to give our, our children to them in marriage. We commit to maintain a pure, a purity about us, uh, a commitment to obey you. And what else do they say? We're, we're not going to sell uh, on the Sabbath or on holy days. So even though the people in the surrounding lands would come to us and say, hey, buy this from us or do that, we're not going to do that because we're going to observe the Sabbath. And, and when it comes to that seventh year where we're supposed to give the land a rest, God, we're going to do that. We won't be planning anything that seventh year. In fact, we'll forgive debts as you have called us to do. In verse 32 uh, through 39 the, the phrase house of the Lord or house of our God, you're going to see it nearly 10 times in just these short verses because over and over again, there's an emphasis on we are committed to the house of God. We are committed to, to worship. We're committed to the temple operating as it ought to operate to the ministry that you've given to us being carried out. And so here there's a focus on, on giving. Uh, the people say to God, you have commanded us to give of our first fruits, and God, we're going to do that. We're not going to wait till we have all the crops harvested and then decide, hey, I, well, I've got this left. I can give it. No, God, we're going to start at the beginning, and we're going to give our first fruits, like your word calls us to do. That, that, that's, what, that's what Nehemiah is saying. That's what the people of God are saying. And over and over, why are they giving? That God's purposes might be accomplished, that, that the house of God might carry out the ministries that God had called us to, including making atonement for sin and offering animal sacrifices and, and gathering the people in worship together. Notice in verse 35, again, this emphasis on first fruits. We're going to give the first of all that we have. We're going to offer our firstborn in service. And, of course, they could redeem their firstborn for a, a certain amount of money. We're going to give our first cattle, our, all that we have. We're going to give the first. Now, this is very different often than we operate. We're going to give our best to you, God, as you've called us to do. And not only that, we're going to give a tithe, God. We see in verse 37, we're going to give a tithe. You've called us to give a tithe. We're going to give a tithe. In other words, you've called us to give 10% of what we make, and they're saying to God, we'll do that. God, you've got 10% of all that I make. I'm giving it to you. That's what the people are saying here. And verse 39 closes with something it's very important. The people had neglected what God's law said, but here they say to God, we covenant before you, we will not neglect the house of our God. We won't do it. God, we have done it, but we're not going to do it anymore. This is the covenant that the people entered into. In other words, we're going to live out God, what you have commanded. Now, in chapters 11 and in chapters 12, we get these long lists of people who lived in Jerusalem and in surrounding villages, lists of priests and Levites who served among the people of God. Now, let's pick up in chapter 12, verse 27. And at the dedication 
of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with symbol, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. Here they are dedicating the wall that they've been working to build. They're, they're having a great celebration. And if we continued reading in chapter 12, we would see that they went through a period of purification or a time of purification. Why? Because there was an emphasis on walking in holiness, of living a life that was pure and set apart. God's people were supposed to be distinct from the world. They were supposed to be distinct from the people who were not a part of, uh, uh, of Israel. Why? God wanted them to live lives of purity and holiness. So, so the people go through this sanctification process and they celebrate uh, the, the, the wall. And, and if we continue to read, we're going to see that people served in various ways. In verse 31, some people, a lot of people served as singers. So they're going to have this great celebration and, and many people served as singers in verse 44, we, and following, we see that people helped in all sorts of ways. Some people helped take care of the storeroom. Others received contributions. Again, many were singers. Some were gatekeepers. In verse 47, we see that all the people were involved in this great celebration and worship service. So as the people served in, in various roles according to their calling or according to their gifting, God was honored among his people. Every single person was important in carrying out what God has called, had called his people to do. Why do we have long lists here, uh, names of, of the people who served and the people who were involved? Well, one of the reasons is because while God carries out his purposes through a, a people, in the Israelites, you have the people of God. In the church, or in the New Testament, you have church, you have the church, particularly local expressions of the church, like we are. And God carries out his purposes through the local church, or in the Old Testament, through the people of God. But what we see when we look at this list of individuals is that that work that's supposed to happen corporately only happens as every individual steps up and puts their name on the line. It only happens as every individual shows up and says, hey, I'm going to carry my weight. I'm going to do my part. And, and I think that's one of the reasons we see these names here. Yes, this work of building the wall and this grand worship service is something that's happening, happening corporately among the people of God. But it only happened because, and we could read their names, because he stepped up or she stepped up. And so we see that every person among the people of God here are stepping up. They're doing what God has called them to do. So as we reflect on this text and what it means for us today, it's clear. We are called to be a covenant community for the glory of God. Now, those aren't words we use a lot, but let me, let me say it again. We are called to be a covenant community for the glory of God. What do I mean? First, I mean that we're called as the people of God to, to be committed to one another, to be a community that seeks to carry out the responsibilities that God has given us. But not just that. We covenant together. In other words, we agree together to say to God and to each other, we are going to move forward in faithfulness. And that's exactly what's happening in Nehemiah here. These folks are covenanting together to carry out the purposes of God. So let's consider three ways we live as a covenant community for the glory of God. First, our lives are centered together around the word of God. Our lives are centered together around the word of God. And we, we see this in Nehemiah chapter 8 and also in chapter 9. So we want, as a people, 
as a congregation, as, a, as the people of God here at First Uvalde, we want to be committed to the word. We want to read the word and be changed by the word. And what does that look like? Well, it means that we gather together on a weekly basis to hear the word preached. And that's really important. As you look in the New Testament, that's a really important concept. What is Jesus founding? He's founding disciples that will, that will form churches. And so it's really important that we gather together weekly for the preaching of the Word of God. And not only that, we get together in smaller groups and Bible studies where we can discuss the Word of God. And we can think through how the Word of God plays out in our own lives. We need that. Now, a lot of the times we try to say, well, I don't, I'll, I'll go to worship. I don't need any of that other stuff. Read the New Testament. See what's happening here in Nehemiah. We're not operating kind of off on our own. We're operating in the context of relationships. When you read the New Testament, one of the things that's going to fly out at you is all of the one another's. Care for one another. Pray for one another. Help one another. How do you do that when you're never with one another? You see, it's very important that we discuss the word in, in, in smaller groups and we're a part of a Bible study or a small group or Sunday school class, something where we can connect with other people and get to know each other and help each other walk faithfully around the word. Not only that, we read and we study the word as individuals. If we're going to be strong in what God wants us to be corporately, it means that me as your pastor and it means each one of you has to open this book. We need to read it every day. We need to study it and let God shape us as we read it. It means that families need to read the word together. Dads, open this book and read it to your kids and talk with them about it. Moms, teach your kids the word of God and let, let them see how God is shaping you with, with his word. Now, I want you to imagine a bicycle wheel. And the very center of that wheel is the hub. And out from the hub comes all of these uh, spokes that, that connect to the rim. Now, if you want to destroy the integrity of that wheel, you can take a spoke or two out and you'll be fine. But take the hub out and the thing is not going to last. It's not going to work. The hub, everything sort of connects to that. And in the life of a faithful church, the word of God is like a hub. The word orders what we do. It guides us in in what we as a church do. It guides us in our own individual lives and how we live. And so if the word is not central... If the word isn't the center uh, of uh, our faith family, we will not be faithful. The integrity of this, of this church will, will not be in place. The word must be central, a commitment to the authority of Scripture. And we see that in Nehemiah's day. So we, we are a covenant community committed to God's word. Second, our lives reveal a shared commitment to holy living. Our lives reveal a shared commitment to holy living. What do we see amongst the, the people in Nehemiah? Man, they're confessing their sin. They're committing to, to walk in holiness, not to live like the world, but to live like the people of God. And so what does this mean? We need to help each other. We need to help each other follow God. Um, I need people who are praying for me, and I need people who, who I can be real with and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Will you, will you pray about it? Will you check on me? And you need that too if you're a believer. And you see, that's what's happening here. The people of God are committing to follow him together. Together. So we need to pray and have each other's back in the face of questions and doubt. And those things inevitably come. We need another brother or sister who can speak into our lives. 
who can walk alongside us and encourage us in the face of sin and temptation. We need somebody who knows us, who can confront us if if that's needed, who can challenge us a bit. Now, these things happen in the context of relationships. We help each other live holy lives or lives that are pure together. Um, Imagine a running back trying to make a touchdown or at least make some good yardage without anybody to block for him. He's just not going to be successful in most situations. And as a believer, for you and I to move forward in the Christian life and to live the kind of lives that honor and glorify God, we need some people to block for us. And we need to block for some other people. There's a community element here. It's very critical for us to get this. So yeah, be in a small group. Have people praying for you. But you got to be here. you got to be a part. You can't just come in and run out. you gotta, you got to get connected. These things don't happen automatically. So we are committed to holy living, to living as a community, to help each other live holy lives. Third, our lives reveal a common devotion to weekly worship and the family of God. Our lives reveal a reveal a common devotion to weekly worship in the family of God. Look in Nehemiah. The people have read the word. They see how they're supposed to gather for feasts, how they're supposed to gather for worship, and they're doing that. And they're very committed to it, so much so that they can say in their covenant, we will not neglect the house of our God. We won't do it. We will not neglect the house of our God. Now, ways this devotion is lived out and seen in our lives, well, we give generously. We see that in this passage. What's part of not neglecting the house of God? It's to give generously. And so for you and I to follow God faithfully, we must give generously. Not the leftovers, no, the first fruits. That's the principle here. Now, what motivates us to give? Well, the reason we're motivated to give because we have one who gave the ultimate gift. You see, the Lord Jesus left the glories of heaven and he came to this earth and he lived in a sinful, broken world among people who nailed him to the cross and he suffered and he bled and he died. And why did he do it? Because he loves you. Because he cares for you. You see, for us to be in a relationship with God, that's only possible through this great gift that Jesus gave. So do you see that that all of us have been broken and messed up by sin and all of us need to be rescued and Jesus rescued us. Now how do we... How do we respond to him? Well, we've got to come to the place where we say, God, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I've messed up. I've done wrong. I've gone my own way. But God, I don't want to go that way anymore. I see the beauty of the Lord Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, and I want to follow him. And trust me, if you're here today and you do not have a relationship with God, today you could know him. You could have the greatest gift that was ever given. You've known about Jesus. You've heard about Jesus. You've sang about Jesus in Christmas songs. But today you could know him personally. He could be your savior. And for all eternity, you could have a relationship with him. What an awesome gift. So back to giving. Why as believers do we give generously? Because he has given so amazingly. He has given us so much. So sure, I can give. How could I not give? considering the great gift that he's given. And we serve 
faithfully, if we are going to to live out a commitment to, to, to weekly worship in the family of God. We serve faithfully. We see each one of these people taking their responsibilities and carrying them out. They were serving in, in the house of God faithfully. And we see the people worshiping together as God had called them to. In other words, they were worshiping consistently. Now, in the American church today, attendance in the church overall has declined quite a bit. And researchers look at this. One of the reasons it's declined so much is because people in the past went to church most Sundays. Everyone's going to miss sometimes, but that was sort of the exception. Now, one of the reasons that church attendance is so low is because most people who go to church go once a month or twice a month. It's not a part of the regular commitment of life. It's something they work in when they can work it in. And so there's a change there, but I don't think that that change is a change that's honoring to God. You see, a, a Savior who has given us so much, who calls us together for our own good, for our own spiritual good, to gather together, and yet we're off chasing this or that and doing this. Or Now, everyone's going to miss some. All of us, we, we need to go see family. We need to take care of things. Sure, but that ought to be the exception. It shouldn't be the rule. It shouldn't be the way we live. No, the regular warp and wolf of our lives ought to mean that we gather together with our brothers and sisters in worship consistently. Now, parents, I want to speak to you for a moment because some of you need to recognize the importance of of this. Now, I know you're going, well, you're a preacher, so this is easy for you. But, But I'm saying this for your good and for the good of your kids. You are teaching your kids a theology of the church in the way that you live. Please hear me. Dad, you're teaching your kid what the importance of church is by the way that you live. And they're developing a theology. Now, we wouldn't use those words to describe it, but they're developing a theology of the church based on your lifestyle. Do you think one day when they're grown, if you took them to church once a month every now and then, they're going to be committed to the Lord Jesus and the church? And remember, the church is the bride of Christ. Remember, he gave his life for the bride of Christ. Father, mother, your example speaks loud to your kids. Now, I know they're going to say, hey, can we go to the mall? Can we go to San Antonio? Can we go to this? Can we go to that concert? Dad, mom, you got to have the wherewithal to say, oh, no, maybe on Sunday, this is what we do. This is who we are. Well, why? Why? Why do we do that? Because we have a God who's given us so much. How could we not want to? gather and worship him as he's called us to do. They may not get it now, but parents, I believe they will get it if they see it being real in our lives and in our families. Now, our church back in 1882 when it was founded uh, had a church covenant. The people who became members of the church agreed to this covenant. Now, we don't have a record of that first covenant, unfortunately. I, I don't know for sure what happened to it, but as we look back in the minutes, in 1884, they adopted another covenant. We're not told why. I don't know if the other was misplaced or what. But I want you to take a look at this covenant. Now, I'm not positive this is the covenant that was adopted in 1884 because, I don't know if you can read it. That's way too small to read, probably, but um, because this covenant is not included in the minutes 
where it says they were adopting a covenant, but it's at the front of the minutes book. So we think this is the covenant they adopted in 1884. And I want to draw your attention, if you can see, uh, to the fourth paragraph um, or to the third paragraph. Let's start in the third paragraph. We therefore covenant and agree that by the aid of the Holy Spirit, we will walk together in love and Christian fellowship. We promise to labor for the advancement and final triumph of the church to sustain her worship by attending the house of God and supporting the ministry, to guard her ordinances, enforce her discipline, and defend her doctrine. We also pledge ourselves to walk circumspectly in the world, to be honest, just, and faithful in our business relations. And as God may give us help, we promise to live righteous and holy lives. We further promise to watch over each other in brotherly love, to visit the sick, to pray for each other in the world, to aid the poor and the needy, and to perform such other kind offices as may be well-pleasing in the sight of God. Now, as you think about that, those are some good words. What happened back in 1884 still needs to be happening today in 2016. And these are the very things that were happening back in Nehemiah's day. These are the kinds of things they were covenanting to do. We're going to obey you, God. So there was a small band of faithful believers who covenanted together to walk with God and to love God. Now, many churches use a covenant like this for new members. When a new member joins, they, they covenant to be a part of the church and to, to follow by God's good grace uh, this covenant. And, and they read the, the covenant like when the Lord's Supper is observed or at various other times. In fact, this covenant that the church adopted in 1884, the minutes say, was required to be read at each member's meeting. When they would gather for a member's meeting, they would read the church covenant together. Why? To remind themselves of the call of God for them individually and as a church family. So what does this mean? It needs... It means that we need to recognize that we're a community that's stronger when we're together than when we're apart. Now look at that, that fourth paragraph in this church covenant. I wonder, do you labor? Think about the word labor. Do you labor for the advancement of the church, that, that, the, that the ministry of the church might be strengthened? Not for the church's sake, but because the church is being faithful to the mission that God has given the church. Do you sustain her worship, by, or, uh, her worship by attending the house of God? Are you committed in that regard? Do you support her ministry by giving generously? When you put money in the offering plate here on a Sunday morning, just over 20% of it goes to pay for missions worldwide. Missions here in this state, missions in this area, missions across the globe. It goes to pay for disaster relief. When you see those blue and yellow logos on a disaster relief site, your money's helping pay for that. Money goes to provide food for people in need, to help people with, with different life challenges. But most of all, that money is going to spread the gospel worldwide. And that's our mission, brothers and sisters, is to make the love of Jesus known. Now, in a sports movie, what's the end game? Well, the end game, it's always winning the championship, right? It's always winning the championship. Well, in Nehemiah's day, what was the goal? What was the end game? It was to see that the wall was built. And ultimately, it was to glorify God so that the people of God could flourish and honor him and serve him. What's our end game today? Brothers and sisters, it's to glorify God. How do we do that? Well, we strive to reach this town with the love of Jesus. There's thousands of people in Uvalde who do not know the Lord Jesus. That's our call. That's our mission. 
That's what God is calling us to link arms and rally together that we might reach this area with the love of Christ. Well, how does this happen? Well, it takes a community. It takes a community covenanting together to give blood, sweat, and tears that the mission might advance as we've seen happen in Nehemiah up to this point. So I ask, where are the laborers willing to sweat week in and week out? Will you be one? Where are the givers who give faithfully week in and week out? Will you be one? Where are the worshipers who prioritize worshiping together as a part of the family of God? Will you be one? Where are the soldiers who are willing to die, who are willing to give their all for the call of God? Brothers and sisters, we must be that. We must be that. So we've seen that God calls us to be a covenant community whose lives accomplish so much more together than they could individually. And friends, I plead with you, time is short. And so many churches were dilly-dallying around. We come to church when we can. We serve if it's convenient. No, don't want to make commitments. I'll leave that to somebody else. Brothers and sisters, it's not the pattern that you see among the people of God in Scripture. It's not the pattern that's pleasing to God, I should say. So will you be a part of a community that covenants together for the spread of the gospel, for the glory of God? Now, in just a moment, in our time of response, I want to give you an opportunity if, as members of this church to, to spend some time in prayer and, in a sense, covenanting together to say to God silently in prayer, God, I want to follow you. I want, to, I want to covenant with my brothers and sisters who are part of this church. So, so in just a moment, I want to give us an opportunity to, to respond in that way. For those of you who are here today and you are not believers, you don't know Jesus, today you could get the greatest gift of all, the gift of Jesus Christ. Join me in prayer.